You're listening to the Pandemic Podcast. We equip you to live the most real life possible in the face of these crises. My name is Matt Bodker, and I'm joined with, oh my gosh, two people. Dr. Stephen Kissler, an epidemiologist of the Harvard School of Public Health, and this other dude who I have no idea, I forgot his name. Oh yeah, Dr. Mark Kissler. Uh, he's a doctor at the University of Colorado <laughs> it's be Hospital. Back. It's been a long time. Yeah. I feel like I miss I you guys. Like, I feel like I, I owe you, you like a lot of holiday, like, like uh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. Happy St. Patrick's Day, uh, <laughs> Earth Day. <laughs> so, how you guys doing? Good, good. Hanging yeah, in there. Doing well. We're yeah. yeah. I think we have a lot of great stuff to talk about. I, we've started to open up a little bit as our as a family, and so we've been doing some yeah. things. And we went. I went actually to a movie for the first time a week ago to celebrate a friend's. Oh. birthday and so we can talk about we we went to see he like rented out a whole theater for a very small group of oh people and we went to see jaws and there's actually some covid covid relevant uh, film criticism related to jaws which i'll bring in <laughs> later in the so just get, uh, like just don't go on a boat with tons of people with no masks that's that's a, that's a... oh no it's it's good <laughs> okay. it's good it's good just just wait for it okay. but it was it was fun and it was you know it, was, it definitely didn't feel nor like normal and and again you know it's not that we're really hoping for kind of a return to sure. total normal We'll see, but but we started started to open up a little bit, which is you know is all the things it is. You know, it feels good, but it's also complicated related to the international situation. Yeah. So we'll we'll kind of talk. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to go public with your thing about you want? Uh, did we uh, Avril Avril Levine and how you want to get it's complicated as our promo? Is my <laughs> I think we just I I I think you just made that public. I yeah, think yeah, I just did that. Yep, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're we're always bantering before the show about our pre-show song, and I've been advocating really strongly yeah. for an Avril Lavigne it's complicated so, and somehow I get I get outvoted every week well, I don't know why here, here's the thing for those yeah. of you Avril if you're listening if you're part of our subscriber base or there's any connections to Avril and we can get licensed to put it please email me at mattolivingthereal.com because we would love to have it it would change the course and the whole trajectory of our podcast that's right <laughs> so that's right. good so let's put a bookmark mark on that yep. whole thing so I want to I have a lot of questions you've been on for a while but families and it's one thing you know we're going to talk about the no mask and the vaccination but then when you have a family that's divided just because of the vaccine how do you actually cope how do you actually have a summer what do you do what's safe what's not so let's put a bookmark on that we'll come back to that in a little bit let's Great. let's hit a couple small things our normal stuff right if you can leave a review i think the last review is like april 23rd i feel like we're antiquated so we need to get another review so if you anybody would like to inspire us you can go to apple podcasts do that if you want to support us We'd love that. So we want to continue this and try new ways to keep this going as we just approach transitioning maybe from a pandemic focus to just maybe health and public health and different different areas of discussion where things are complicated and how we can embrace that and yet still respond in a simple way. So if you want to support us, patreon.com slash pandemic podcast, as little as $5 a month goes a long way, or it's a one-time gift at PayPal, Venmo. Those are all in the show notes. If you subscribe to Apple Podcasts and you look at the show notes, it looks like a bunch of junk. And that's Apple Podcasts' fault. I've I emailed them so you don't see any hyperlinks, no anything. It just looks like jumble. Hopefully they'll get that fixed. If you're anything other, you'll be able to find the links easily right there. Okay. I think we're ready to get going. Guess what? Mark told us that we well, brought on a guest, and this is awesome because it was about a month ago, Stephen. It was just you and me. We've been going solo on that stranded island for like a month and a half, and we got Mark back. And we have talked about India and the difficulty and all this crazy stuff. And so we brought on a special guest that Mark knows. So I want to definitely give a warm welcome to Dr. Pandita to the, to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, let's start here. Now, I don't know you whatsoever. And the 
the audience doesn't know you. Let's just start who you are, what you do, and your connection to, to India. Thank you, Matt. Thank you so much for having me here. And so let me tell you about myself. I'm an internal medicine physician and infectious diseases physician at the University of Colorado. I was actually born in India, in Kashmir, which is a place in the north, northmost part of India. And because of it's a very unstable place and because of genocide, my family was displaced. So I pretty much grew up in New Delhi. My father was a physician who set up the small practice there in a very low income neighborhood of Delhi. And I grew up basically being his little assistant in helping him out in his clinic. And it was mostly scut work. So, you know, I didn't like it back then. <laughs> but the reason I really bring this up is because I think that's where I had my first experience of social inequities in general and how closely they are tied to healthcare. Most of what we saw were infections. We saw simple problems that really had very simple solutions. They didn't need techno you know, big technology or sophisticated problem solving. And yet, you know, a lot of times due to not being able to access those simple problem, you know, solutions, there used to be a lot of deaths that uh, were totally preventable. So I think that overall inspired me and I went on to pursue my medical school in India before finally coming here to the U.S. and I then, you know, specialized in infectious diseases. Now, I still keep my uh, ties very closely with India. My family is there and, you know, I, I, my work has mostly been in the field of tuberculosis and advocacy in general until COVID hit and then like rest of the world, I got pulled into COVID. And so far I have been working with TB and COVID in that area. Great. Now, first and foremost, how is your family? Like they're still there in India. Uh, are they doing okay? Are they healthy? What's the status of your family right now? It's, it's not very good. Like I think I'm lucky in the fact my immediate family members are safe, but multiple family members, multiple relatives, they have been sick. We have been seeing a lot of deaths. Like every time I talk to my mother, it's like, you know, two or three relatives are dead. And that's been the situation for last uh, two weeks, I would say two weeks or so. And it's just getting worse. Yeah. And, you know, and it helped me out as well, because I haven't, my life's been crazy the past week or two. I haven't quite in the news as I have liked to be. And I know when Steve and I were talking three weeks ago, India was just really, at at that point, I thought it was the peak and it wasn't good. There's no way it could get any worse. What's, what's the status of India right now? Is it, are we seeing any kind of reprieve or is it still running at this, this, this fever pitch? Yeah, hey Matt, that's an excellent question. The problem that's uh, happening is what you're seeing in media and what's the official figures, they don't reflect the reality on the ground. Right now, there is the, we have a problem with data transparency. And a big problem is that there's a chunk of uncounted deaths that have not been, they're not been registered simply because these people who are dying, they don't have access to care. So they either don't make it to the hospital or, you know, when they are in the hospital, they don't get labeled as, you know, death from COVID. And now it's it's just getting worse and worse. Now we are seeing these dead bodies being washed away through rivers to the shores. And if you if you really look at the ground situation, it's it's a ground zero right now. It's a, it's a disaster. And what what the number so yeah, what you're seeing is not what what the reality is. It's just worse. It's not any better. Yeah. You know, with your, what you're seeing, your research, how can we help 
you know, both as me as individual, right? So like to, to bring aid to help India be able to get control of this, this really <laughs> terrible situation. That's a, another great question. Before that, let me tell you a little bit about what we are trying to do, because I think the answer to the question, it would be much more understandable. How can, you know, people help in general? You know, we, the members of Indian diaspora, we, uh, especially the physicians, have been getting all these desperate calls from our families and friends on the ground. It's not just the rural part or the remote areas that are being affected like that. It's also the big metropolitan cities like New Delhi, UP, Mumbai, Maharashtra, like whatever you can think of. The, there is a huge infrastructure collapse. It's it's not just the COVID and the variants that you're seeing that's causing the deaths, but a vast majority of deaths are due to the infrastructure collapse. There, to give you a little example, like you know, a few days ago, I one of these calls that I got was a was a family member, actually a friend, uh, whose father had COVID symptoms for a few days and it was very mild, couldn't get tested, couldn't find a provider. A lot of, you know, because of the volume and the fact that the providers themselves are sick and dying, there is a severe healthcare shortage, healthcare force shortage right now. So couldn't see anyone. And this is smack in the middle of a city. I'm not talking about rural front. And she called me because his pulse uh, ox were showing numbers were going down rapidly. So he was not able to maintain his oxygen levels. And because I was very well connected in the area, my own family had a, you know, hospital there. So, you know, I thought I could be able to help her very easily. I would be able to get her her father oxygen or at least some steroids, which are the life-saving treatment for COVID. But when I called, I found out that all hospitals in the area are shut. The family member who's a physician, he himself was sick for a long time, his own family whole family was sick. He did not have any oxygen. He did not have any drugs. And, you know, eventually we posted these SOS messages on Twitter, Facebook, and through that, we were finally able to get him a military bed somewhere. But, you know, he died eventually because he had this delay in getting these uh, this basic care. So the situation in rural India is even worse. And how could we help from here? I think that's how our group came together. We were all these professionals, not just um, doctors, but scientists, engineers, tech uh, folks who have great knowledge with that, people who have logistics you know, understanding, distribution understanding. So all these experts came together on this front, which is India COVID SOS, and I'm um, co-leading the advocacy efforts on that group. So we have 500 volunteers at this time. and. 500 plus, I would say, at this time. And what we're trying to do is basically to get resources, mobilize resources to these uh, patients on the ground and really to help support our colleagues in India. And I think this is an example of, you know, why it's not just the doctors and people in healthcare who are needed at this time. We need, it's an all hands on deck situation. We need people from different backgrounds we need, you know, because we have so much to do. And giving you a, an example, like you talk, you're hearing about these oxygen concentrators, right? There's a huge shortage of basic oxygen cylinders and oxygen shortages concentrators right now. A big 
problem that we uh, noticed was happening was these, even if you had an oxygen cylinder, it was not being utilized properly. So how do you save oxygen? We need innovative solutions, right? So a doctor cannot do that. Basic scientists cannot do that. So that's where the engineers uh, come in. They could help us with solutions like that. Like how can we save these uh, oxygen, make them more long lasting. Another example I could give you is telehealth platform. So we have the doctors here. We could use their expertise to train these volunteers on the ground who don't have medical training. They have never seen deaths in their life and now suddenly are overwhelmed and don't know how to provide basic, basic COVID care. So we could use their expertise to train them. And how do we do that without the tech community helping us on the tele telemedicine platform? Right, so it's a very um, multidisciplinary collaborative effort that we need to bring actual help to people on the ground. Thanks, and I just wanted to make sure that, just so that it doesn't get lost in the midst of that, that the name of the organization that you're working with right now is India COVID SOS, is that right? And you have a, a website and, and some things that yes. people can go and check out in terms of mobilizing both professionals, you know, engineers, tech folks, physicians, and then lay people on that. Absolutely. It sounds like a great, this groundswell of, you know, concerned individuals who are trying to apply their professional expertise as much as possible, which is, you know, great to see the really tough situation. Yes, Mark. And, you know, it started off with a few members of the Indian diaspora. And now we have, we are a big international community. We have professionals from Canada. We have professionals from US, Europe, all over the world, basically. And, and they're all, it's incredible how quickly it has grown and how quickly we are working on multiple fronts. We and writers, you know, Mark, your area, like to give you a little example, we just, as a part of our advocacy efforts, started this project. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a project to really get stories from the ground through the medium of writing out to the people who don't know about it. So, you know, it's, it's just an example of how even writers can help. So everyone, everyone's talent has a place right now in, in this global catastrophic situation that we are seeing because it's not just about India anymore. We are seeing the spike in cases in Nepal and Bangladesh. And these are the countries that are heavily reliant on India for medical supplies. And because India is in, it completely collapsed, these countries really have no place to go. China would supply things there or every, you know, it's in short supply, whatever is going is going to India. And these are the countries who can't even now get it from uh, the supplies, especially oxygen from other. So I think those are going to be even worse affected. The entire Southeast Asia is uh, unstable. And now we have Brazil. It's, it's a global uh, crisis. It's, it will become a global crisis very soon. I think it already is. Yeah. Thank you. I, you know, I, it's just reflecting on everything that we've seen over this last year. It's been one of the things that's been so striking has been the geographic variability, you know, and how different places are deeply affected at different times. And I think we're in this strange place, I think, as a country where we're feeling like we're coming out you know, out of the pandemic in a lot of ways, we feel a certain amount of relaxing, you know, as we see mask mandates coming down, vaccination rates, you know, though they're not perfect, are still going up. And there's this discordance, you know, between what we're seeing in our local communities and what we know is happening in these places that are, you know, that are far away. But uh, something that's happened 
again and again and again, I feel like is this emphasis of how much we're also still part of that global community and how much what's going on, you know, in a remote you know, to us part of the world really materially affects, you know, people us and people that we know and, and our local communities. And I think I just really appreciate you continuing to bring that that voice of advocacy and, and just of knowing what's going on, get those stories out, because I think it's so, so, so important to not that's, look away from what's going on there. That's such a great point, Mark. Like, I feel like when this pandemic started, it started initially in China and we were like sitting here in the U.S. thinking, oh, this is not going to affect us. We are fine. And it really tells you how infections work there is no borders mm -hmm. there is no barriers when it comes to the pandemic we may think that we are safe because we have the new vaccine but if you think about it the the, the rapidity with which we have these newer variants emerging right now if this is to continue and we are talking about a third wave right now we, have, we actually are the public health experts in india think there's going to be another third wave coming somewhere maybe in fall and that's going to be even, even much worse than what we are seeing right now, which is already miserable. Like, it's unprecedented what, what I'm hearing from the ground. And just think about the rapidity of the mutations and the variants. So how do we know we are protected? By the time we see emergence of cases, the, the virus is already here. We're always behind in our recognition. And we saw this last year. And, you know, my concern is that this, this, the, the way this works, if you have a fire in one part of the house, you can't say I'm safe because my, my room is like, you know, uh, in the other part of the house, the whole house is on fire. Mm -hmm. So I think our, the world and the pandemic works like that without global solidarity and cooperation. There is no end to this pandemic. We, we just keep going to get into situations over and over again. That's great. Dr. Bandita. Thanks so much. It's been awesome. Now, my audio and video got disconnected during the best part of this, so I can't wait to listen to this episode. <laughs> so, technology, right? Uh, <laughs> we lost Matt for a minute. So I, I caught the last part before we let you go, and just my my, my two cents, it kind of reminds me of the first 10 episodes. One of the, We had Doc, Dr. Abraham you know, Nussbaum on, and I think one of his drops that were just so, and this is prophetic, because this is now, what, the second week of March, or third week of March, right, of 2020, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying mm -hmm. that this is probably going to reveal the fact that we are more deeply connected than we ever thought we could be, right? And he was addressing more of the idea that we think that we can be silent in our own worlds and just be detached from the world around us if we can just somehow manufacture it. But there is no manufacturing whatsoever. There's nothing we can do. And this just continues to realize the, the, the deep necessity of addressing the need mm -hmm. for a deeper sense of, of global solidarity. And this is not a liberal agenda or a concern. This is a real, this is, this is the most visceral thing that we could possibly see with India. Just, just elevating the fact that we need to yeah. take this seriously. And we are deeply connected. And like you said, the variance, the dependency on all these things, we need to work together on this. So thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, absolutely, Matt. I, I just like to say it, I, I, I do see a lot of support from international community. You know, it, they have been very generous. We see a lot of, because we also are channeling funds for all these vetted organizations on ground. So I do see a lot of support coming in. But the scale of this, this is so massive that that's not going to be enough. And we need much more than that. We need technical expertise. We need creation of field hospitals. We need disaster management expertise. It's, it's it's gotten to a point uh, where just, you know, it, there needs to be much more. So I think I, I completely 
you know, I, I agree with your point. Like, you know, without this global cooperation and solidarity, this is, this is impossible to contain. Yeah, absolutely. We'll gather information, Mark, if you want to, all the information we need for the show notes, for links and these kind of things that people can access mm-hmm. to help and support. Sound great. Great. Thank you Sounds so good. much, guys. All right. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank Absolutely. you, Dr. Pindita. Yeah, Have a wonderful it. week. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thank Take you. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Man, I can't wait to listen. Yeah. She no, she had some great points. Sorry, sorry your video um, yeah. cut out, but and we'll you know, we'll chat more. But I think just the sense of getting like you were saying, you know, getting a personal sense of what's going on there is so important, I think, because of the ways that it affects just the you know, everything that's going on globally yeah. as yeah. well. Absolutely. So. Great. Let's continue to go forward here because we have a number of things we want to talk about that let's just start with this. Let's riff for a while about this whole CDC guideline. Mm-hmm. And the masks. I saw in the news, I initially reacted as, hey, this is cool. This is great, you know? And then, you know, it's got a lot of press lately. And we've uh, seen Mm -hmm. people excited about it, frustrated about it. So I want to right away start with what do you guys, let's first, for those of the listeners who maybe haven't read anything or know anything, what is this from the CDC? What is it saying? Steven, if you want to take a quick uh, riff of this, what is it saying? Then let's just talk about you guys, what do you guys think about this this release of, of, yeah. of imprisonment of masks. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's, there are a number of different levels to the actual recommendations, but basically the idea is that for vaccinated people, the CDC now recommends that masks are really not needed in most places. There are a few exceptions, including like public transit, crowded indoor venues. So there are some very important exceptions there, but I think that the, the thing that has really been picked up is that basically when you're vaccinated, you'd no longer need to wear a mask. And, and that's, that's like the, the bottom line, again, with those exceptions that, that this was really brought forward. I think there's some really interesting elements to this. You know, there's, there's been a lot of pretty mixed reaction amongst my colleagues. I was, I've, I've had a bunch of, you know, friends ask me, you know, like what, like what, what do I feel about this? Like, like how, how should I be thinking about this? And the first person who asked me, it took me a while to reply, but the best that I could explain it was like, if you've ever been like, going up to a diving board. There's like a diving board, going to jump into a pool and it's it's higher than you've ever jumped before. I have never done this, by the way, Stephen. Right? I like, I'm scared <laughs> as heck. So I've never, I can't even associate with this, 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 but go ahead. That's great, right? Yeah. yeah. So no, that's the thing, right? You're like going up to the edge of this diving board and, and maybe you're a little bit nervous. Maybe yeah. you've never done something like this before. And so, you know, you're, you're testing the springiness of the board and you're looking and, you know, seeing who's watching and, you know, testing the air, make sure there's not too much of a breeze. And then somebody comes up behind you and just pa, gives you a shove, right? <laughs> right off the board, right? <laughs> That's what I feel like yeah. right now is is like we just got pushed off this thing. It's like in a little bit more time, I feel like we would have approached this point. You know, it like we, we would have gotten there. I would have jumped off the board. <laughs> but there was a suddenness to this that I think caught a lot of us by surprise. Some of the things that I really regret about the recommendation is that, first of all, it, it, it provides guidance to individuals, but not really to communities or organizations. And I think that that's actually a really big oversight. I, I, there are some recommendations for 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 communities in there as well, but they're... It was. It's clear that that wasn't the emphasis, and also especially that it wasn't tied to any notion of risk in the community, of prevalence or cases yeah. or you know fatalities per day, because this is going to change. You know, it, 
COVID will rise and fall in different places. And there will be times when we do need communities to wear masks again. And then, you know, and then what do we do? <laughs> then sure. then there will, there's, there's going to be another shift where, and, and so I'm really worried about the future as, as we try to navigate this complex landscape that, that some of the messaging around these new recommendations will make it more difficult to manage disease spread through the use of masks in the future. But would love to hear you guys' thoughts as well. Mark? Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I, you know, I also similarly had a flurry of questions and, and thoughts and, you know, opinions from the, my broader circle about like, you know, what do we do? What do we think of this? And it's just, I think everybody has all sorts of feelings, you know, that come up related to this most recent, you know, recommendation. I'm interested too, as we, you know, I have a couple of thoughts initially, but I'm interested to move into this conversation, Matt, that you alluded to earlier about what do we do in settings and, you know, particularly in families in which you might have, you know, vaccine discordance, you know, and how do you navigate sort of the complex realities around that? Um, You know, I think one of my great disappointments over the course of this whole pandemic has been the difficulty that we've had, I think really as a society in transitioning from conversations about individual risk to conversations about communal stewardship and and yeah. communal risk and in what i one of the things as steven you were saying you know this is a sound scientifically this is a pretty sound recommendation from a you know virologic right. standpoint in terms right. of your personal risk if you're vaccinated um with given the current state of variants and things like that you you know, you have a pretty good chance that you're really well protected from very severe COVID, you know? And so, but what that, what it's hard for me to see is the way that that particular messaging interacts with communities in which we haven't reached herd immunity yet, like a lot of the country, right? And we're having, you know, in our Denver metro area, we're having, you know, just over half kind of vaccination rate and maybe a little higher than that of, of immunity given infectivity, but we're still not quite at that point. And there's lots of places in the country where we're not at that threshold yet, you know, just a vaccine uptake. And so the conversation about how then do we, you know, make communal spaces, there's just a lot of pressure, I think, to take off the masks, you know, given the CDC guideline, there's a lot of pressure as as local governments are rescinding their public mask ordinances. But of course, you know, we know that not everybody in the community is vaccinated. And we also know that there's still setting up potentials for spread. It's it's interesting to me, I think, that we're still framing these questions in terms of individual risk. I say interesting, but I think I think I've you know, it's it's more that it's it's frustrating to me that we haven't developed a better discourse, you know. And I think this has been throughout the pandemic, you know, conversations about very at the very beginning, you know, should we wear masks and and the guidance around that often was really framed in the sense of individual risk rather than communal, you know, spread. And and I think that a lack of early messaging about asymptomatic spread and the prevalence of that, it's it's just really, really tough, really tough to see. So I think, you know, as as excited as I am to start to take steps in which we're more able to participate, you know, in communal life, I think that's really good. And I think there's been a lot of really negative impacts on a lot of people from from the isolation of this last year, you know, and I'm I'm happy to see things moving in the right direction. I I don't know exactly who to look for or who to look to for the type of guidance about where and when, you know, it's still really prudent 
to wear these masks because I think there's just so much public pressure for businesses and organizations and things to rescind that, you know, and that's, that's where we're at. I think there's, there's other questions too, about, you know, populations like kids who can't be vaccinated. I know Matt, you had some questions around kind of like, what do we do in the setting of like younger children around this mandate and stuff? So maybe we can get into that a little bit too. Yeah. That'd be great. A couple of things. Number one, apparently with my new upgrade of our software, I have an expletive button. So Mark, if you ever feel like you need to use it, because you're frustrated, I can just press the button. Because you sound like you wanted to go there. You can just push the button. <laughs> so yeah. that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing is, was it dealing more dealing with the actual substance of this conversation? And that is, you know, I, it's weird how you kind of you were just saying like, how do I feel? And it's weird how sometimes, like for me, the the layperson, honestly, I have to go to you guys. Like, how 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 should I be feeling? Which is a weird conversation to have. Like the fact that I have to go to you guys, but there's something true about that. Like I don't know how I ought to feel with this. And then I was processing it in my own head of like, what what are they trying to do? There is the ground science. Like they were, I have a couple of things here they, they they witness of even just like preventing asymptomatic spread. And like that's just like you know, one, one person in the journal is like, wow, this is an incredible, like the fact that it can do that is shows the significance of the effectivity of the vaccine. So then on science it's grounded, but then there's that other element which you talked about, Mark is like basically the art of persuasion. And like, well, so when we get this information, what are we trying to do with it? And I can think well, in my mind, what's, it's like when I tell my son, when you clean your room, you can have a cookie. Are they using this kind of rhetoric mm-hmm. of like, Hey, if you want to get out, you know, you got to first clean mm-hmm. your room, get the vaccine. Is this their kind of their idea of trying to move forward with this, which I don't I just don't think it's be that effective, really, you know, to. Yeah, I think it's a good point. It's yeah. hard to know because, of we're course, not. we're not, you know, privy to those conversations as to like what's what are the motivations here. But if if this is intended as an incentive for people to get more vaccinated, I think that on on its face, you know, I could see that being the case. But I think it's just really tough because the the population that that we're trying to reach, you know, already has a complicated relationship with things like masks and with official CDC guidance to -hmm. begin with. And so when, you know, without acknowledging that extra layer, you know, I think that using, you know, messaging like this simply as an incentive would probably be ineffective. I agree with you. And I think, you know, it's not clear to me. I think that for the most part, they're just trying to be upfront and say, this is, this is the state of the science and this is where we're at. But I agree. I mean, I think it would be helpful you know, helpful to have a little bit more sense of maybe, maybe we need to reach a certain threshold, say, you know, a vaccination before it makes sense for counties to, to lift public mask restrictions or something like that. And that, that additional piece of guidance can be really helpful, I think, because there's just so much uh, that's left up to, you know, that sense of what should we do next? Again, these are all my, my opinions that, that have absolutely zero the credibility behind it. I, I'm just using my imagination. I'm like, I can see like almost like swinging the pendulum the other way. Like, you know, a lot of criticism for imposing masks while you're outside, even, even alone. Steve and I, we talked about this and the complexities of like advising for masks, even outside, no matter where you're at. And a lot of criticism mm-hmm. towards that. And then almost like, Hey, yeah. we're one of you. Look at, you know, let's see the mess. Like, see, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going the other direction now. Like we're, you know, we're trying to be, we're trying to play it. We're trying to play the game right. You know, trying to pull, you know, again, this is my mind trying to grasp at straws of, you know, all of the complex realities of why this was imposed, you know, this was, this was provided so quickly, but I have no idea, but mm-hmm. speculation, we could speculate till the cows come home. I'm used to this. Uh, let's move forward to something that's a little bit more, <laughs> has some more teeth to mm-hmm. it, which, which applies to yeah. me and probably so many other people. And this has been a hardship, Mark, Stephen is just processing what this means for me 
when I have three little ones who are six and under, who are not going to, mm-hmm. like, it sounds like maybe September now that they might, might be available. Mm-hmm. So I have the whole summer and we want to have fun. Mm-hmm. And when, do I play to the weakest common denominator and just not do anything? So I'm going to start with you, Mark, of like you just said, you're starting mm-hmm. to open up and starting to do things. So what mm-hmm. are the kind of the things that as you, as you process, you're trying to move forward with your family to do in light of this? Yeah. You know, I think it's worth remembering again, that as, as compared to other respiratory viral epidemics, children's morbidity, you know, the disease that's caused from COVID is relatively lower. And so I think that's helpful in a certain sense as we're thinking about how do we, you know, how do we think about the risks of individual families and things like that? And not to say that it's no risk and and that when it is, you know, bad, it can be really, really bad. But at the same time, I think that one of the things that I'm thinking a lot about are what are the situations and scenarios in which we have a reasonable amount of communal immunity amongst the adults and that those are places that that's, you know, probably safe for the kids to be as well. And so I I feel comfortable with that. And I'd feel comfortable in, at least in my personal family with, even with travel and things like that, you know, if everybody's wearing a mask and we, you know, take those precautions just because of the sort of the risk profile that we've seen develop over the last year around kids. Yeah, I think it's, it is complicated again. And, you know, Stephen was talking, we were talking a little bit beforehand about this sort of perpetual question about do kids spread it? To what degree is this a serious, you know, childhood illness and things like that keeps circling around. So maybe he can speak a little bit to his thoughts about that. Cause I think that speaks into this question of how do we keep, you know, keep our kids safe. Before you do that, let's just frame this as you go into it, because this, we got this from one of our listeners, uh, a video from Dr. Griffin, who's a virologist. So there was a, an opinion piece from the USA today just recently proposed like, look, you're, you're releasing restrictions for masks. Why don't you do this for kids? The science says, and they were quoting science, but the science was back in July and uh, in the summer, which for COVID that's old news, right? So it looks like from this Dr. Griffin, again, I'll put this in the show notes. There's a really good video. The first 15 minutes are enough to watch. He was proposing that, look, this is not the case that no longer the cases of the kids don't spread it as easily that you say, no, they spread it just as easily as everybody else. They're just like everybody else in the population. And in fact, you know, they're seeing that 10% of even children have long COVID. Now, before people get scared, a lot of that's just normal things. You know, maybe you don't even notice it until your teenager goes to, to go football practice and then realizes that he's short, he's short of breath, maybe four or five, six months, you know, not a lot of things that are that grave, but nonetheless, long COVID 10% spreads just as much. Is this a concern as, as we approach our kids going out to the pool and going on vacation? going flights, where do we see this in perspective of other, other, other illnesses? Yeah. So these are really some great questions. Someday I want to like write something about how our understanding of flu has affected our understanding of COVID mm. and has really like infiltrated the, the conversation that we're having. So I think, I think part of what we're seeing here, and I mentioned this when we were talking beforehand too, is that the question of whether or not kids are important for the spread of COVID really depends on your baseline, what you're thinking about. So, so seasonal flu and pandemic flu it's very clear that school-aged kids are you know, really the key drivers of transmission. That's like where a lot of the spread happens. And so, and that's now our paradigm for respiratory illnesses that, you know, kids are little buckets of upper respiratory illnesses running around, right? Like to first approximation, that can be true, especially during the winter. And so when we think about COVID, you know, the, the, the prior expectation going in was that a similar story would play out that kids would really be the main drivers. And, and then we realized that some schools that did stay open, didn't see those sorts of outbreaks that we 
expected to see. We weren't seeing kids coming into the hospital at nearly the same rates as other people, or even as we would expect them to come during a flu pandemic. So what's going on here? So 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 the first hypothesis was that kids kids just aren't spreading it. Well, it's I think it's true absolutely that they're not spreading it to the level that that they spread flu, relatively speaking. But I think that the the point that you brought up earlier that they they are probably equally infectious, roughly so, to, to other people in the population. You know, there's there's maybe some modulation there, but absolutely, kids spread COVID. They get COVID, they spread COVID to other people. There might be some differences in rates there, but it's it, it, it's significant. And and part of the reason why we don't see infections spreading why in kids is, is this issue of clinical severity, which is much, much lower for young kids, especially under the age of 12. So if you compound all of these things together, it makes it appear that kids are not really responsible for spreading COVID at all. And they are much, probably much less so than they are for flu, but but they do absolutely contribute to the spread. So, so there's a lot of complexity there. And I do think that thinking about transmission amongst kids in schools and wherever kids gather is is really important as we move forward. There are absolutely always questions here now of, of you know, risks and benefits, because you know, again, with, with lower clinical severity in kids, then we start getting into that gray area of like, what, what are the trade-offs that are worth it? There are all sorts of things that can be risky to a kid's health that we do all the time. Thinking about... <laughs> Thinking about a kid playing football, you know what is what are the like what are, what are the risks we're 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 confronting here, right? There's a risk from COVID, and there's also a risk from concussions. And now, with you know, whereas for an older adult, the risk from COVID is is very high. Now, for kids, we can start to have a conversation about this. And, and I don't know, I don't know what that relative risk is, but but the conversation I think is still open. So I think that's the thing is we do still need to be really thinking about spread of COVID in kids, especially because then outbreaks in kids can spill over into the broader community. Masks will probably remain important. But I think, you know, this is as as old as adults are getting vaccinated. I think that it makes sense that this is really becoming the next part of the conversation. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you know, looking at some of the stats here that, that, that Dr. Griffin put, you know, just to put things in perspective, he, he was saying like basically one tenth of one percent of children or, or, or go to the hospital, right? Very low amount. So with the, if there's a problem, because the general problem is about the spread, right? Of how it can get to other communities and creating other little pools and populations by which things spread and affect people who are actually more vulnerable, how to protect those. But one, one other sort of complexity to, to raise there, we were talking about vaccines, you know, when, when will vaccines be available to kids? And I think that that's you know, really important. We're, like yeah. both of you said, your households are split where the adults have been vaccinated, the kids have not. And I think here, one of the other complexities that we've been thinking about, too, is tying into the conversations we were having at the beginning of the podcast is uh, global vaccine equity, too. Does it make sense for us to vaccinate under 12-year-olds in the United States when we're still trying to vaccinate over 60-year-olds in much of the rest of the world? Yeah. How do we balance that as well? And so mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's another really key issue that we're going to have to start thinking about. And I don't think there are any clear answers to yet. I think that leads to the next question. And this is, you know, is it reasonable now to discuss the end of the pandemic? Because that's, that's exactly, it's a, lo- it's a loaded question because the, the answer is, where do you live? That's just for the U.S. right yeah. now. I think principally, we, you know, having Dr. Pandita on and seeing India and it's literally the polar opposite in the most darkest way, they wouldn't even propose that question. But that makes it even more difficult. Are we, are we in, at the end of the pandemic, the U.S.? What do you think of this question proposed by the Atlantic? They propose, yeah, with caveats, of course, you know. But when you hear this, what, what, come, what first comes to mind? 
Yeah, it's. I, I'd be really curious to hear hear both of your thoughts on this too. I think that it's right. It 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 brings along this sort of feeling of it's this really mixed feeling, right? So so thinking just from from the the aspect of the word itself, right? We think about pandemic, and we talked about this in our early episodes. Like pan means everywhere, global, like <laughs> universal, right? It's everything, and so it's really difficult for me to think of the end of the pandemic. Until it's under control <laughs> everywhere. So even if you know to to talk about the end of the pandemic in the United States doesn't make sense to me. It, it might be the end of the you know epidemic of the COVID epidemic in the United States. Yeah. But I think it's important that the pandemic continues, and that means you know it, it, back to what we were talking about before. When there's a fire in any part of our house, yeah. there's just a fire in the house. Mm-hmm. And and to the extent that that's true, we we do still have a pandemic on our hands. One of my concerns. There's there's some historical precedent to this too, where certain infectious diseases have been effectively eliminated from the United States, from rich countries, for example, and, and we don't really think about them. We were talking about tuberculosis earlier, mm-hmm. right? The rates of tuberculosis in the United States are remarkably low, mm-hmm. but it's a huge issue in many other countries. HIV, there's still a lot of HIV in the United States, but there's also you know decent access to care in many places, and many people who are infected with HIV still you know under under proper treatment, their life expectancy is no different from someone who isn't infected with HIV. Not the case in much of the rest of the world. Those are both still pandemics too that are ongoing now, right? But we don't think about them as such. And I think that COVID could become that as well. Yeah. And that's one of my real concerns. And so 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 that's that's the feeling that's behind the sort of feeling of unrest when we're talking about the end of the pandemic because I do think that our life will change for the better significantly here in the United States. And with high rates of vaccination, you know, thankfully we are starting to feel some sense of approaching normalcy yeah. here, but it's uh, it's it's such a complex picture and I think, you know, the pandemic as such is something that we're going to be dealing with as a global community for years and years to come. Yeah. Mark yeah, I don't know if I have too much to add to that. I think that, you know, I think just to echo that this has been, I think, a theme that we're circling yeah. around throughout this yeah. episode. And yep. uh, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's the reason why I propose that question because it, it does seem like the common thread in this particular episode and just seeing that proposed question as being the obstacles that we need to go of not looking this as through a silo, but looking this as a, as a global effort and, and just being cautious of these phrases, you know, releasing masks and mandates individual yet, but global, you know, community health, not maybe a great response. Same thing for this question as well. Last question I have for you guys. And this is just interesting, thought provoking. I saw this, it said COVID-19 was a preventable disaster. WHO ordered report says I read the article. It was nice. It seemed like the biggest thing that it was talking about is that it could we could have started earlier. We could have been, you know, we could have declared it an, a, a you know a global crisis earlier. Earlier, February was a wasted month. You know, all these kind of things. But I guess I wanted to propose to you, like, could COVID have really been preventable? I could see in your mind, Steve. I start with you again. I could see definitely reverse engineer this and say, okay, we definitely could have mitigated the enormity of this collateral damage by a better response, but prevented seems like I can't even see unless I'm missing something, uh, a way by which this could have been completely prevented. Steven, any thoughts on that and reflections? Yeah. I also feel like the word of the day for me is mixed (laughs) because that's exactly how I feel about this too. You know, it's because I think the answer is, is yes and no. There, there is 
I, I do think so much that we could have done earlier on, like you said, Matt, to, to mitigate the spread of COVID. I'm thinking especially back to the early conversations we had around testing yeah. and yeah. all of the yeah. issues that were around testing, around surveillance, around just understanding where COVID was, when it was spreading, that certainly certainly many of us in the epidemiological community felt a little bit like we were shouting into the void. And so there was a sense that like a subset of people knew and had the tools and had the capacity to know what to do to mitigate the spread of COVID. But that didn't really get, you know, adopted. But again, you know, I'm, I'm speaking in hindsight, I, I don't know for sure if those yeah. things would have actually been effective. Sure. We, we don't know for sure, right? Like, yeah. I, I can, you know, go and cherry pick all of the things that I wish, wish would have happened differently. And I, and I do think many of those things would have helped. But, you know, it's infectious diseases are, are really complex things are incredibly difficult to control. Yeah. So I think given the technology that we have now, given the knowledge that we have now, we probably couldn't have prevented COVID from spilling over in the first place. So the epidemic that we first detected in Wuhan, I, I, I don't see any way given the technology that we have now, we could have prevented that. We're beginning to develop technologies of surveillance yeah. and, you know, where, where we can hopefully anticipate those things and maybe cut it off at that point too. But that, that's, that's future stuff. That's, that's like doesn't exist yet. So I, I don't think we could have prevented it at that level. And so I think, I think because of that, you're right to, to bring up that it's not, not so much prevention as, as mitigation. Now, now, could we have, you know, reduced the extent of geographic spread? History says potentially yes, as happened with SARS-CoV-1, where there was a flare up and it managed to be contained. But part of that was because of the attributes of the virus itself, where there was seems to be a lot less propensity for asymptomatic and presymptomatic spread, which is really what, you know, bit us with this one. And so there's a lot of complexity here. I do think that, yeah, if we were faced with another identical virus to SARS-CoV-2, we could probably prevent it from <laughs> causing nearly as much damage as it has now. But that's the other problem is the next thing we face will not be SARS-CoV-2. It will be something else. Yeah. It it may be flu, it may be a coronavirus, it, it may be something else as well. And and all of these same questions are going to come up again. So so it's mixed. I think there's a lot we could have done, there's a lot we could do in the future, but these things are hard and I, I'm not at all confident that this, you know, was maybe a hundred percent preventable sure. <laughs> in hindsight. Yeah. But, Mark, any last words? Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that's struck me a lot about Steven's work throughout this pandemic and preceding it is getting a little bit out of this question of the the false divide between what is man-made or human-influenced and what is natural. And it, particularly in the case of infectious disease, we see this, that there's that, it, that to make that divide really strict, you know, is is a fallacy. There's just such a complex interaction between what we do, between culture, between ideas, between understandings of, you know, truth and authority, you know, frankly, as, as we, that, that is not, not only is it immaterial or, you know, interacting with the, what we call kind of the, you know, the material facts of the pandemic, right? This like encapsulated, you know, genome that's floating around, but it's just so that's, it's in my mind in, inextricable, you know, it's impossible to pull those things apart. And so that, to ask, ask that question, I think is in some ways 
proposing a divide that may not yeah. be there. And, you know, I, I promise, I, I promised you some film criticism at the beginning of the podcast. And so, you know, I think this brings us to that, that point in a, in a way that, you know, I think there's, there's this interesting scene at the beginning. I don't know if you guys have seen, I had never seen Jaws before. There's this interesting scene where Sheriff Brody is like leaning on this pier and looking out at the water. And he knows, you know, he knows there's a shark in the water, but the mayor won't let him close the beach, right? It's like Amity's a summer town. You know, you, you've got all this stuff. You takes him out on the ferry and gives him a talking to. And and I, I had this moment of just this this movement of like, oh geez, that's what Stephen felt like in February. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, this thing. And and at the same time though, you know, and it, of course, this here's this big Hollywood popcorn, you know, blockbuster. All the things that can be said about it can be said, but there's there's this very interesting and subtle thread, I think, at the bottom of the interaction between humans and nature and this kind of tenuous balance and this ability that we have to look away from reality and this ability that we have to insulate ourselves from reality um, until it's so obvious that we can't look away anymore. And at that point, there's all this you know, retroactive conversation that happens about, you know, what should we have done? What should we have listened to, you know, and who, whose responsibility it was at that point. I just think it's such a valuable reminder because I, I know, or I fear that we're going to be in a situation like this again at some point, you know, hopefully not in our lifetimes. And, but, but, you know, pandemics occur as there, as a phenomenon, you know, that we see every century, every 50 years, you know, or so on. It, it just strikes me that we have to find lots of really robust ways both to ask these questions and then to remember the good answers to them because that that cultural memory and, and encoding, you know, this is a key to survival, right? And so I, I, I just think that kind of, it, it opens up onto these broader, broader concerns and things, but those are some of the things that I've been thinking about, you know, in the wake of where we're at in the, in the particular pandemic. And then also the ways, of course, that, you know, that other forms of knowledge, you know, the narratives can be really helpful in kind of understanding and coping with collective threats like that. That's great. Even even Spielberg esque. Look at that. that There's a reason why. (laughs) There's a reason why Stephen Colbert used Jaws back in the last as to to. Did you? We put in the show notes. You remember that we put the Colbert used Jaws as his way to. This is a perfect illustration of the response right now of COVID. So mm-hmm. I think oh, I see, he was right. I think he's right on. Yeah. If it was made now, it would be like two on the nose. It'd be like, oh, geez. Okay. I see what you're trying <laughs> yeah. to do here. Quit hitting this <laughs> yes, over the head totally. with it. So, uh, so. Oh, guys, it is so good being with all both of you today. And uh, please, we just thank Dr. Bandita for being on, helping us to, uh, open our eyes to the reality of India. Like I said, it's, 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 it's much harder to see the reality of things until you hear it from someone who's actually has family and, and knows what's really going on. So please check our show notes on how you can actually support India. Again, if you're on Apple Podcasts, it might be jumbled and hard to actually decipher, but if you're on any other uh, directory, you should be able to have easy access to click on the link and help support. So I think that brings us to the end. Mark, Stephen, good to see you guys. I hope all of you guys are listening. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you guys next Monday. Take care and bye-bye.